And I think mature defense mechanisms are considered mature and that they don't like reject your feelings Mm -hmm. and they don't distort reality for you. So with, so like those defense mechanisms, you did not prepare me for this. (laughs) 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 This is good stuff. An example of that. I feel like you're my professor tonight. (laughs) I'm like, Whoa, okay. Okay. This is really helpful. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I am Scott. And I am Macy. Welcome to episode number 67. Wow. We are Every time here. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Um, this week, we are doing our fourth installment of this topic. Is it the fourth? I believe it is our fourth. I went back and looked at our records. No. Yes. I thought I it was think, the third. I think I'm right, but I could what? be wrong. I must have missed the one. anticipation is crazy. I can only imagine <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think for some people it might be. Oh, oh, oh. They what is it? On it? Defense mechanisms. Defense mechanisms. Welcome everybody to wow. is our fourth time coming around to this topic. Maybe I can Arthur. prove it. <laughs> <laughs> the first time we did, I did reaction formation and you did splitting. Okay. That's the second right. time I did. What is it? I think I did intellectualization or something. Intellectualization. Intellectualization. I did. I forget. I did. I forget. <laughs> That's the a third defense time mechanism. I did interjection and you did. Let's just see here. Sugar. It's a race to find. Style. Home. Introversion. Extroversion. Defense mechanisms. We did. I knew I was right. You know what we did though? Projection and thinking. Control and interjection. I did projection. You did thinking. Okay. You know what? I, I understand what happened here, though. What? I, I think I didn't see it this time around because we didn't call it defense mechanisms part three. We just call it defense mechanisms. Oh, interesting. And okay, yeah. That so title. This, this is, is our part fourth four. time, everyone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Control and interjection. Holy moly. I remember now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that, which brings us to why we do defense mechanisms. Kind Let's of. talk about it. First of all, I mean, we heard about it and it piqued our interest. So there, it's no small thing. So we talked about it. Right. Exactly. We want to talk about it. So we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it's as simple as that. Part of no small things. Um, mood board. Mood board. Yeah. Mood I saw board talk a lot about is mood boards. a kind of pseudo science psychology, pop psychology well thing that we are into. Yes. Um, we're <laughs> very into the Enneagram and with that, we're very into understanding, at least I am, and I think you are, into trying to understand why we do what we do, mm-hmm. which, is that the title of the book? Oh, Why Do I Do That? Why Do I Do That? Mm-hmm. We are here for the conversation, trying to unveil what's going on, maybe subconsciously or unconsciously, what our brains are doing. Mm-hmm. It's no small thing in our lives. Mm-hmm. It's constantly impacting our lives, and doing the work of observing ourselves and being honest with ourselves and trying to see ourselves maybe more clearly is something we're both pretty passionate about. So that kind of spills out into our conversations. We think it's no small thing. 
Yeah, you're doing that thing where you say it right. <laughs> you know, you're saying, saying you're it. saying, and I'm like, oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I think I know I say this all the time, but maybe there's newcomers. The vibe is not two psychologists, not two therapists, mm-hmm. not two professionals who have gone to school and learned some things. It's like it's like we are curious people who've read some books and now we're talking about it. Yeah. So we're sharing our knowledge, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, let's just say we were briefly interrupted by my kids who just came home from their activities. evening activities. They're in the house. So maybe you just heard a little break in the conversation but we and we didn't warn you it was happening, but it <laughs> happened and now we're still talking. Here we are. <laughs> um, okay, so you're here with our fourth installment of defense mechanisms. Fourth. Defense mechanisms. Yep. Um, oh, why do we like to talk about them? Enneagram? Well, Enneagram and then also just... We're interested. <laughs> oh, oh, we're not professionals. <laughs> we've got to oh, talk about that. Yes, I would like to go on a quick note about that. Okay. <laughs> we are not professionals. We are people who... This is our major side gig. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this week we're semi-prepared, but I think often in doing preparation for something such as defense mechanisms, I can immediately, first of all, get like, oh, I really want to go to psychology school and I want to be trained psychology in Psychology school. Whatever like it is. <laughs> okay. Psychology school. Oh, psychology school. Yeah. Is, this is one of those things where when I start to do the research, I become very aware of how immature I am and become oh. very aware of how little I know. Oh. I listened to a podcast today that was, I forget what it was called, but it was a doctor of psychology talking to a student of psychology and they just, there's a wide breadth of knowledge and opinions about even defense mechanisms origins because they come from Freud and Freud's theories are important, but they're often seen as outdated these days. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I'm still not even sure why they're outdated and I don't have the like wherewithal to to know them well enough to even critique them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. So we come at this, at least I do from a very amateur lens of, being curious around these thoughts and not maybe holding solid like opinions about them more of just, I feel very much in the discovery phase of even what defense mechanisms are, even though it's our fourth episode doing it. You're doing it again. Because our brains are very complex. You're saying the the right (laughs) things again. (laughs) A second round of the right things. (laughs) Goodness. No, I mean, but if you put it in theology terms, Freud is sort of like Karl Barth or somebody like that who, mm-hmm. who created a big giant system of thinking that is now the major source material for a lot of stuff. But yeah. um, it's not, I mean, he is just a human and psychology again. Now here I go, not in my area of expertise, so I don't even quite know what I'm saying, but it yeah. does seem to be, I mean, when I hear true psychoanalysts talk about their work, it sounds very pastoral. Mm-hmm. It's like we've gotten this training, but at the end of the day, when you're one-on-one with a person in a therapeutic context, yeah, you're you're going off instinct, you're going off intimacy, you're going off, hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a very pastoral, yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, I was listening to a podcast, and one of the persons was talking about how defense mechanisms are used in their practice in terms of helping them to understand what's going on underneath the situation with the Mm -hmm. patient and trying to see and like read defense mechanisms happening as they're telling stories. Mm, It's like, that's an interesting thing to have this language in which to observe or which to 
maybe reflect upon what someone's saying as they're telling a story. If you have the language of defense mechanisms, you can maybe see those acting and then be able to help point that out for people. Yeah. Defense well, there, mechanisms. there's a big thing right there. Just stop right there for a second. Cause that's, that, that is already a takeaway from this episode. I mean, I think that's true. First of all, this always happens. And so warning to everybody, when I start to just, 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 just uh, like 45 minutes of researching defense mechanisms today made me start pointing it out in other people, <laughs> you know, and I don't think that's what it's meant to do. I think you're meant that's to think true. about yourself. You're meant to, I think it can be both, but I think, yeah, it's like in terms of how they're useful for you. I think they're much more useful if you're looking towards yourself. Yeah, I think you, they can be helpful in your relationships to maybe be able with people intimates closely point out times you're totally seeing agree. it. Yeah. Especially if you've established a connection or an agreement of like, we point out our defense mechanisms yeah, and that's, that's true and welcomed. Yeah. Which I mean, this is, we did interjection. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, a couple, uh, probably like a month and a half ago, two months ago. And even just doing that, I mean, it profoundly shaped just a few things in my life of being able to point it out, but then also the greater interjection of interjecting and rejecting certain parent figures and Mm. like help me to make conscious steps towards changing the way I relate with my family. So they play a big role and having the language for it allows you to then have the like capability to take action. Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah. Should I try and explain I kind of want to try and explain this way of seeing defense mechanisms that I heard today that I think is helpful. Explain it. I'm okay. interested. This okay. is what we do. This is no small thing. So <laughs> Freud had these like theories of the mind and it revolved around these three ideas. And there's people out there who oh, are. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Here we go. Who are probably like Maisie. You're butchering this, but I'm going to oh, do my right. best. Okay, let me let me just please say this, because I was going to say this earlier, and I just want to r- make sure everybody knows. This is what I do like about No Small Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, do you like? We would be having these conversations anyways. It would be me coming over and being like, let me explain this thing to you. Yeah, defense mechanism. Here's this thing I learned. Oh, my gosh. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh. And and now we just we kind of formalize it just a little more. Mm-hmm. But um, this is the thing is... We all can talk about whatever we want. Every, some, some people talk about the Seahawks or their sports team, and they probably have podcasts about that. This is the type of stuff that we like to talk about. So I do think I do think two people talking about some things they learned about defense, defense mechanisms could be beneficial to people. I hope so. Because if it That's, generates interest. I hope so. I listened to a podcast earlier today that was two people talking about defense mechanisms, and it was very beneficial. There you me. go. Interesting. And I'll probably listen to it three yeah. times more. <laughs> I just don't want, if anybody ever clicks on one of these and goes, Oh, and they're listening to us talk and their assumption is not knowing who we are. And they're like, these must be two therapists or something like that. You know, it's like, we're just saying right off the bat. No, just two just people two out people. in the world who want to talk about. Last week we talked about Steven universe. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So we have these three, I didn't, I didn't even know what the categories for these words are. Um, there's the id. Is it id? Mm-hmm, I-D. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The id, the ego, and the superego. And the id is like your instinctual self. So it's mm-hmm. like your drives. And I think Freud mostly linked it to anger and your like sexual drives. That was like 
your id. Mm-hmm. Um, which already listening to all these things, I'm like, and where's essence in all of this? Oh, well, <laughs> right off the bat, I have a response to that. I think essence is more of a spiritual reality. I know. I know. This is more of a, you know, brain, body, psychosomatic, as Ooh, people would say. You know, that's the word. Reality. <laughs> um, you have your id, and then you have your ego, which is help. It's like what mediates between your id and the outside world. Hmm. So it's what you do in order to, like, have yourself like be able to like put those instincts how you handle it so it fits into the structure of the world yes and that's how you like check it and then your super ego is like your morals Uh, it's like it's like this greater consciousness it's this thing that that, sounds sounds a little bit like essence maybe but yeah yeah, and i don't who knows yeah i don't know it's like it tells you it's kind of like what's telling you what's right from wrong Um, and so everyone has different kind of levels of it. So like your ego can be, I don't know. I forget there was, there was better words for it. Ego seems more surfacey, right? Well, I don't know. They're all playing different parts. Like I know people are seeing this being like, they are blowing it right now, (laughs) but maybe there is some fun in hearing two people like they're getting there. They're working out. They're slowly understanding. They don't got it fully, but we're trying to get it. We're trying to get it. Um, like your, your super ego is like your morality compass. And then your ego is, their ego is different in that your ego is trying to mitigate your id. Yes. Into the outside world. And so then defense mechanisms, how they play a part. I'm going to see if I can do this metaphor. Not looking at a computer. We're not looking at a phone. We're going off the top of the dome. Freeform thinking. I'm mostly repeating this example that this person gave, and I found it to be really helpful. I'm pumped. So if you were to start to imagine your id, your ego, and your super ego as these like characters, Mm -hmm. okay? So imagine them. Um, Imagining. You've got your id, who is your instincts, and it's this person... I don't know. I guess you could imagine them being like a punk. Yeah. Awesome person. Oh, right. Just kind of raw. I'm personifying these. Yeah, yeah. Raw thing. And then you've got your ego and they're like hey, put that's, together. That's a little too harsh. Let's, let's just channel that into a more productive. <laughs> a put together figure who's got things under control. And then you've got your super ego and you can imagine some kind of like judge like figure or like head moral figure, pastoral it's figure, something like, like that. It's almost like the ego's checking in with the super ego being like, help me understand what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Yikes. I'm probably butchering that, but I'm just talking. This is a conversation, folks. This is, this is a conversation, <laughs> folks. So here is an example of what could happen and how defense mechanisms and what your ego does and mm. how they pull on defense mm. mechanisms. So imagine you are a teenager and you're a teenager, teenage boy, and you have a stepsister. Okay. And okay. your id goes, oh, my stepsister's hot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your ego Inappropriate. immediately goes, oh, okay, well, your, okay, your id says, oh, this person's hot. Your super ego says, there's something wrong with that. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. So then your ego goes, hmm. I don't know how to handle these. Let me go and look up a defense mechanism and see how I can figure this out. Not literally look up? Well, no, these are personified. So it's like, let me look up what defense mechanism can help me to handle this situation to ease this tension because 
my super ego is saying this is wrong. And this id, this being attracted to my stepsister isn't going to be okay in the world. (laughs) So I need to like your, your ego then starts to look up a defense mechanism. Oh, let me find one. Not literally. Not literally. No, these are personified little things. That's why you have to imagine it. (laughs) Um, Kind of like inside out. Like there's all these little characters in your exactly. in the background. And so But it could sound like you were saying a person literally goes no, and looks up no, on a, a computer. No, a person does not literally <laughs> do that. But that's the function that the ego plays. It says, what defense mechanism can I do? Which one will work in this situation for me to be able to cope and handle this feeling I have? Because that won't be okay in the world. It won't be okay for me to uh. have that. So what they do is they pick something that works, something like reaction formation, mm-hmm. which then says, takes the feeling you have and turns it to and be the exact be opposite. To my sister. Right. So then you could say something like, but I actually like oh, my sister. somebody says like, oh, your sister's hot. And then the person says, oh, no, she's so annoying. Your ego has Ooh, now, the, the person said, your ego is Pay now attention. high-fiving your super ego because now they've handled this oh. check. That's good. It's much better to, you're now functioning in the world and then your id just gets silenced and repressed in that situation. Mm. And that's how defense mechanisms could work. Like that's okay. the way it's working in terms of the id, this ego and the super ego. And this is something we circle Does that around. make any sense? It does. It does to me and it actually really helped. And I think it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really tried to figure out I my thoughts I bet that's going to be really helpful to people if they've listened it to It was this. helpful to me when I heard it, and it makes it makes sense to me how they function. And this idea of your brain just subconsciously pulling on something to like handle whatever unwanted feeling you have, which is the role defense mechanisms play, is when feelings arise in us that we aren't okay with, then our ego comes in and finds a way for us to manage them, which often means repressing them or not this is allowing just, them to be. This is just a very rich, deep, <laughs> <laughs> helpful Macy reflection <laughs> on defense mechanisms. You're very much more prepared than I am. But I, I, like, I just wrote this down because I want to keep it as, as, a, as a sort of a foundational thought as we k- keep talking about this because this is the Joseph Burgo, the guy who wrote Oh, Why Do why I Do What You Do. He says that defense mecha- mechanisms are lies we tell ourselves mm-hmm. to avoid pain. Yeah. But if you think about the things you just said, it, this is why the more I dabble in like psychology and the mind and psychoanalysis and all this theory and research out there it seems as if it is almost essential to bring philosophy into the conversation Hmm. so people would say that psychoanalysis is uh by its very nature antisocial not in the classic way we mean it of like oh i'm just being antisocial but it's like it's not it's essentially my understanding again we're just two folks talking in a room yeah we don't we don't know Um, but we do know cause we have looked it up and stuff, but we are not professionals. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it seems like it's, it's, it's inviting the id into the room. Yeah. No, there's something about it where you think your sister's hot defense. You, mechanisms. you can say that in this room. Yeah. Talk, talk about it. Let's yeah. Let's allow that. And, and, then, and then the person looks at the analysis and analysis analyst and says, I can say that here. Yeah. Mm. This is, you can say whatever you want here. Ooh, I'm kind of attracted to my stepsister. Okay. And now you can start to get somewhere. Not, mm-hmm. not, it's not, it seems it's, it's not necessarily the 
the big important thing is to acknowledge that you are attracted to your stepsister, but it is now you can start to know and understand yourself in ways that you haven't been able to because you've been shutting that down. Yeah. What does that say about you? Who are you? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting how they can also, I think, be really good in protecting us from doing harmful things. Like if your instinct is to do something harmful to someone. True. It it is being like, and then because of your super ego is like, oh, you can't do that. And then you come up with a defense mechanism there's part of it where it may, they may be functioning in a way that is keeping you and others safe. It's complicated because I think defense mechanisms. Well, we're really getting into it. There's a really big range. It seems between the kinds of defense mechanisms because some, and I think these would lean more towards what are called mature defense mechanisms are actually maybe sometimes helpful and good and okay. Mm -hmm. Like some of these Mm -hmm. defense mechanisms are maybe helpful coping skills. And then there's some where it kind of goes back and forth. And then there's some where you're fully suppressing your feelings and having like a unsound way of seeing the situation. And those would be, I think, immature defense mechanisms, which I think tend to almost always be unhealthy. Man, you always come with some good stuff. I want to go back already and listen to what you've been saying so I can learn from it. <laughs> that sounds right, though. I, no. I've been learning kind of the the categories of defense mechanisms, yeah, mechanisms as good. we keep going. And it seems that there's three categories. There's the immature defense mechanisms, neurotic defense mechanisms, and mature defense mechanisms. And I think mature defense mechanisms are considered mature and that they don't like reject your feelings Mm -hmm. and they don't distort reality for you. So with, so like those defense mechanisms, you did not prepare me for this. (laughs) 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 This is good stuff. An example of that. I feel like you're my professor (laughs) tonight. I'm like, Whoa, okay. Okay. This is really helpful because I do see it's true. When I've been even studying defense mechanisms myself, I haven't had this language. And this is why language is so helpful. I'm like, this is like a defense mechanism light. Yeah. You know? No, like some there's, really there's are. heavy ones. In what the, you were doing sublimation, which yeah. is a mature defense mechanism. Right. We'll use this as an example. Sublimation takes the feeling that you have and then uses it and puts it in a different area that's productive. A so nice, if you're feeling super upset mechanism. and emotional about something, you could then go and write a song. Yeah. Or if you're feeling really angry about something, you could then go to the gym and punch things so good in this situation you are aware of your feeling and you're not rejecting that feeling Mm -hmm. and you're their whole like the way you see a situation is clear Mm -hmm. and like what's happening i'm angry so i'm acknowledging it now i'm going to do something now i'm going to do something about it um going on a run neurotic defense mechanism which i'll be talking about Displacement later, which is a neurotic <laughs> defense mechanism. Oh, this is so good. Which is kind of a. We could shut down the podcast episode right after this. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks everybody. Go think about this for a little bit. <laughs> um, the neurotic defense mechanism. <laughs> this, um, you still have like a sound view of reality, so you're still seeing things clearly mm-hmm. as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are rejecting your feeling. With neurotic defense mechanisms. Yes. Now I want to think about what mine is tonight. What is yours? Idealization. I don't know. I'd have to hear more. Yeah. Yeah. I think. 
Um, and then immature defense mechanisms, both you're rejecting your feeling, I think, and you have an unclear way you're seeing reality. Ooh, so I think that's mine tonight. I think that's yeah, I mean, right, I, yeah. interjection, I think, is an immature defense mm-hmm. mechanism. Like repression is an mm-hmm. immature defense mechanism. Um, repression? Or is that a neurotic? Honestly, I'm not sure. Yeah. Denial. Denial, you're not seeing the situation clearly and you're rejecting your feelings of something. Yeah. Um, so there's there's kind of levels of defense mechanisms and reasons you might use certain ones. And in different people, I think, based on the kinds of groupings of defense mechanisms you use, that can indicate um, many, like, different, maybe, like, conditions you may have, psychological things. Also... I mean, we've noticed there's patterns in Enneagram in your personality, yeah. which defense mechanisms you go to start to shape who you are. Yep. So they're all kind of linked and different. There's, it's really interesting, I think, hmm. the more you get into it, how layered they are. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Oh. Those are my thoughts. Oh. <laughs> I think that's all I have on defense mechanisms. That's like someone that comes in and shoots like, Scores forty points in the first quarter of a basketball game. I was like, "That's my, that's my contribution." <laughs> yeah. You know, drop the mic. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to I'm you. I'm glad though. that you're enjoying it. I feel yeah. like you're learning. I uh, I found some cool resources today that have been really helpful for me, and really I will funny. post you've those really funny in the show this notes. Episode. You were like, I, "I'm not prepared. I've got nothing to offer," and then you <laughs> just came with all this kind of felt heat. <laughs> I don't have much to contribute in terms of, um, like. Uh, uh, what I what I have to contribute is just as a, an, an actual response is my continued understanding and engagement with the concept of psychoanalysis. Yeah. So like I'm not going to be ever a person that goes to school and gets a PhD in psychoanalysis, although that's what it entails. Maybe I will be that kind of person. Maybe I mean, because psycho psychoanalysis is a lot like becoming a pastor in our realm, at least. I mean, I still have not been ordained. It's taken me 15 years. So much schooling and just things you have to jump through to get there, you know? And it seems like if you want to become a psychoanalyst, you have to go through at least essentially like 10 years of schooling and education and certifications, which I appreciate. But it does seem again, somebody hasn't been trained that the, the goal is to provide a space. And this is something I'm actually very compelled by Mm -hmm. for my own life work. Your therapist is a psychoanalyst. Yes. Yep. Yeah. To provide a space where, the it's temporarily the expectations of society and maybe perhaps you're saying your ego and super ego are being removed. Mm -hmm. Now it seems as if true psychoanalysis, true psychoanalysis is something that is, is intensive. Mm -hmm. So I go to counseling once a week. That's not psychoanalysis. Um, you'd have to go like three or four times a week for Mm -hmm. it to be true to what it's supposed to be. But you're trying to create a space where the person can Full start intensity. to believe and feel that those expectations have been removed. Hmm. And now they can start to be honest with themselves. Yeah. And once you can be honest with yourself, you can bring something forward. And we say this is with Enneagram, without judgment, without excuse. Yeah. Yeah. And you can start to explore it. That doesn't mean that it's okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's like if you said, I want to I kill my wife isn't it helpful to now be to acknowledge it and now deal with it? Yeah. You know, but yeah. you can't just go around saying that at a dinner party. No, there's you not. Know? You have to have a space for that yeah. where that can be yeah. openly allowed. 
it's really fascinating. I think it's it definitely bridge like brings up the question of like when people are ready for that kind mm-hmm. of space, ready for that truth about themselves. Sometimes defense mechanisms are protecting you so much you have to really slowly pull them apart. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just if we were to all of a sudden go around without our defense mechanisms, we would not be functioning. It would be yeah. wild. They're they're good and they're good and bad, bad and neutral, and we should just be aware of. They keep them. us safe. They keep us alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know. As a sexual five, oh, I've learned this about myself. That energy gets fixated on a person, and I can get really aggressive about like, let's figure this out right now. I don't give the person the space. I I get you know, um, probably yeah. it probably feels suffocating. To me, it feels so exhilarating, and exciting. I'm like, we're having fun here. Somebody's like, I am so overwhelmed by you right now, you know. And I'm like, oh, 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 I didn't realize that. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. okay, whatever, everybody. I think that was an intro. That's an <laughs> I think that was an intro. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Just some thoughts. Our defense mechanisms understandings are continuing to evolve. Yes. We're continuing to be intrigued. Yep. Look it up. You guys, we, we, we live in a day and age where you can look stuff up. If you're like Scott Macy are talking nonsense, go look it up. Yeah, look up the super ego. What, what, what are they talking about? Let super us ego? know if ego? we're right or wrong. Psychoanalysis? Is Scott just talking trash? <laughs> um, when we come back, we are going to each was Scott. Why don't you go first? Okay, I'll try. Mine's not gonna be. Mine's gonna be more clumsy. I can already sense Scott it. Scott like is came going ready. to share his defense mechanism, which idealization. is idealization. And then after that, I will share displacement. All right, I'm pumped. These defenses. Here it is. This is the episode. When we come back. <laughs> What is up, everybody? This is Scott cutting in here for just a brief second to point out a few ways that you can help support the podcast. I'll try to make this super quick. First, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It's so helpful. It bumps us up in the algorithms. It's also super encouraging to us. Here is a recent uh, review from someone called Hello There. Uh, They said, every episode brings on a unique take of the topic and provides valuable and new information. No small thing has opened my eyes to things that I never knew about myself and others. I quite enjoy every episode and highly recommend giving a listen. No matter who you are, you will find something that relates to you. Scott and Macy are very inclusive, either on a personal level or a more general level. Have a great day. Emotions while listening. And then they put a bunch of really fun emotions that can probably all apply to no small thing. So rate and review us on iTunes. It's helpful. It's encouraging. Another way that you can help support the podcast is to share about no small thing on your social media. That could be posting about us in your stories on Instagram, sharing something on Twitter, or just texting a friend an episode that you like. Obviously, we have our own ways of promoting No Small Thing, but research shows that the most effective way to promote a podcast is word of mouth from listeners. So that would be super helpful. Finally, you can support us on Patreon. Patreon is a way that you can help No Small Thing grow financially. But one thing we want you all to understand is that we are starting to work on creating exclusive content for Patreon supporters. So hopefully if you choose to support us that way, you feel like you're getting your money's worth. One of the most recent posts was of Macy doing a Steven Universe-themed ASMR where Macy pretends to be welcoming you to, to welcoming you to new homeworld. It's really whimsical and creative, and I guarantee that if it doesn't help you sleep, it will definitely calm you down, and it's just really fun. So you can go to patreon.com and search for No Small Thing, and you'll find us, and you can sign up to support us uh, in that way. Okay, so there are some ways you can help spread the word about No Small Thing. We really, really appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Up next is a conversation about the defense mechanism idealization. 
back everybody uh, my i have a dog that his name is dodger and if you want to see pictures dodger of my dog probably in the next no day or two thing. actually probably before this episode is released I'll, I'll post a picture of macy and dodger from tonight oh, um baby. one thing dodger does and i'm sure other dog owners understand this out there is he digs at <laughs> our chairs and it's obvious that he's trying to dig up the fabric he's doing it now <laughs> he's doing it to create a <laughs> There's some ASMR sounds to create, to hopefully you can tell his intention is to create like a little bed for himself, but he obviously in a chair can't gather the fabric up. It's, it's just stuck to the chair. <laughs> it's crazy it's to watch. It's a really funny thing to watch. It feels so very, um, uh, primitive. You know, this is my, my dog, my dog actually is, um, smart, too smart for his own good That's to the point where true. he has been impossible to train. <laughs> he outsmarts us every step of the way. Um, but when you, so I typically experience my dog Dodger as smart, but when I see him digging up these chairs, I'm like, he's an animal. You're he's like, an you animal. Idiot, he's a Dodger. dumb animal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it makes it feel a little different. Maybe we're back everybody. I'm okay. going to talk about a defense mechanism called idealization. idealization. So now this is the interesting thing. I, I, I'm excited to talk to Macy about this. Who's sitting in front of me. Um, because idealization is one of those ones where I was studying this week. First of all, I was thought I was going to do repression or denial. Mm-hmm. And I for do weeks think to come. I'm they, excited for they, these. They, they, they deserve to be talked about because they seem to be all, one of the most. Here's a big word. Ubiquitous uh, means meaning like prevalent um, defense mechanisms in movies and literature and pop culture and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Maybe Which, they're some of the most easy to understand and they're kind of obvious. Maybe that's why I don't want to talk about it. I was reading it today and I was like, this is so obvious. I don't, yeah. other people, you, people already know this. Repression. Yeah, that's true. It's not like unveiling some I wasn't secret like, what? thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But then I looked at idealization and the way they talked about it, I was like, this is new. So everybody, as we're talking about this, lies we tell ourselves to avoid pain, defense mechanisms. We walk around with these defense mechanisms and isn't it interesting to just stop? wherever you listen to a podcast like this and think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as I talk about idealization, maybe see if you relate to it. I was listening to it and trying to be really honest with myself, reading the, and not necessarily relating a ton, but it does seem everybody can, everybody does this. I definitely do it. I definitely do it. But there was other ones when I read about control, when I read about intellectual intellectualization, you're definitely like wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and when I think you find out your Enneagram type or your defense mechanism, plural defense mechanisms, it almost seems impossible to stop. Right. Like hearing interjection. Yeah. I do this. I do this all day. It was every day. so hard. Yeah. 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 And I don't really do interjection. I think that's what sometimes I just walk around the world being like, I think I'm a four. And then I hear about something like that and I'm like, no. I mean, if, if anything, like a five has this thing of being this thing called emotional unattachment. Yeah. So if anything, I haven't been able to actually devour people's emotions Mm -hmm. in a way that would feel honoring to them. I'm like, nope. Yeah. Well, devouring someone's emotions and eating them and swallowing them and taking as their own is not very honoring to them. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, like, okay. Not even being able to meet halfway and be like, I understand your emotions. I mean, my early days, it was all about 
just getting so far away from any emotion. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole thing. Emotions run away. Idealization okay. seems to be the, the root cause of it seems to be rooted in shame. Okay. Oh, and here I we might, go. I might talk a little bit about shame tonight. Shame. I've got shame. To hear Macy's thoughts on a few of these shame thoughts. <laughs> we all have shame, but it seems like those heart centers in the Enneagram have a little bit more a than bit more, more than usual. So they say this in this, uh, we're, again, we're reading this uh, book by Joseph Burgo called, why do I do that? So we're, so if you're at a stage in your life where you're asking, why do I do that? Defense mechanisms are part of the, the solution. Mm-hmm. Understanding defense mechanisms. Yeah. So it says an ideal is a standard of perfection, beauty, or excellence. An idealization means to elevate the ordinary of human to the status of perfection. Okay. So we have an experience in our life that the ordinary for some reason or another, and this seems in my mind to most pertain to Enneagram threes and sevens. Yeah. I can see those numbers Mm -hmm. popping up. The ordinary seems embarrassing. It seems painful. To think of oneself as ordinary. This could also it, you know, I know, I know. I was thinking <laughs> as I read about this. Um, and so we 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 take on this defense mechanism of idealization. So uh, practically speaking, it seems that this shows up first and foremost in human relationships and especially romantic relationships. Okay. How does it function? So... Uh, I am, I am um, not satisfied with my life, okay. the, the mundaneness of my life, and so I'm going to try to fill that with a person who is the ultimate example of the perfect relationship. So people talk about oh, like this is like why Bachelor and romantic comedies are so appealing to people because it represents an ideal that is not attainable that people buy into. Trying to have something yeah. like this the perfect, most mm-hmm. ideal situation. Mm-hmm. You'll just cling on to one thing of that in your life and that becomes your crutch. The thought of it. The, the thought, thought of it, it becomes motivating. Oh, yeah. I see. So it's not even like you have it. It's more of the striving for it mm-hmm. that keeps you functioning and going in this ordinary life. It's like, it's okay because I'm going towards the ideal. Yeah, I haven't even said it yet, but you're summarizing it better than I even said <laughs> it. So that's really nice. Thanks for bailing me out. <laughs> I'm just trying to, to no, get it. No, it's true. That's, what, that that's it? exactly right. And and um, uh, it seems like this is associated with like people that would be considered manic, manic depressive. Okay. It's a toggling back and forth between extremes. Okay. It's saying I'm so terrified of this depressive state mm-hmm. that I'm going to like overshoot for this idealization. Oh, I see. And then when you have those failed you, expectations, you, don't get you go right back. Then you go right back to manic down. Depressive, Interesting. Or not manic, but depressive. And you're back and forth. You can't seem to find a nice common center. So, so yeah. Um, you meet. A I person. don't think this is one of the Freudian ones. Although there's been a there's a lot out there beyond Freud's original yeah. ones. Um, well, sublimation was one of the Freudian ones, which actually seems to be one that was yeah. created by his daughter. Yeah. But um, we talked about created idealization. Mm-hmm. So it it doesn't just happen in relationships, but that seems to be one of the primary. And maybe you could call it a, a sexual enneagram type thing, an enneagram sexual type. Maybe like finding the idealized in the realm of relationships or one to one. Um, 
But yeah. Do you... Okay, wait. So it's not just a relationship, though. It could be like idealization. It's idealization of like a certain kind of job. Yeah, anything can be idealized. A certain type of life, a certain type of job, a certain type of lifestyle, a certain type of... This one feels weird as a defense mechanism. Okay, so if a defense mechanism is a lie, we tell ourselves to avoid pain. Okay. Uh, the, the pain is in the mundane for this person. Okay. So the lie is there's always something better. Oh, I hear this what is you're not, saying. This is not, I'm not always going to be like this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find some, a person to fulfill me. I'm going to find a job to fulfill me. This is just, this is just momentary. Hmm. And hmm. the truth is, is no, this is life. Yeah. It has ups and downs. You're just a human. Yeah. That human is just a human. That job is just a job. These things are not going to fulfill you. Yeah. And, 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 and I really believe in that. Like, um, I mean, the guy that I often re- quote on this podcast, Peter Rollins will say like depression is getting what you always wanted and realizing it didn't fulfill you. Hmm. Um, and we vacillate between depression and melancholy, essentially like hmm. true fulfillment never actually happens. And that the trick of life is to enjoy the struggle. Hmm. You know, just, just know that like, those are some real Peter Rollins thoughts right there. (laughs) I'm struggling. It shows I'm alive. This is, this is good. Like, yeah, this is what being human is. The struggle, the fight to be human is the struggle. That's real. Um, but, but don't think you're going to reach this utopia where you never have. Yeah. So it's a false sense of self and a false sense of your, what your reality maybe. Mm -hmm. I had this realization in counseling in the very early stages Mm -hmm. and it's weird. I guess this is what counseling does is when you hear yourself say things out loud, you realize you had thoughts that you weren't in touch with Mm -hmm. and then you can capture it and see it out in the ether and like almost like a word bubble. But I was talking to my therapist and I was like, uh, I was going to a, a, a therapist. I mean, we live in Seattle, everybody. So like the building I was going to is right in the center of all of the tech stuff going on. So all these Deep. fantastic buildings are being built. The most, probably in the entire country, the most creative, innovative, sexy looking buildings you could build. And I'm I'm meeting with my therapist right in the center of all this in this old decrepit building that was probably built in like the 50s. And walking there every day being like, look at all this important stuff going around, around here. And I feel worthless. Hmm. So I told, I told, I asked my therapist, I was like, how do you come to work every day and not just feel weird and worthless and subpar? And, and he was like, you and I have such a different reaction walking in that situation. (laughs) Cause I'm like, I don't want to be anywhere near this. Like I I can get that. I can get that way too, but I was mostly envious and, um, which I don't wonder if that, Oh, I do wonder. Is it a defense mechanism? mechanism? Oh, I do wonder that. So, they, There's probably some reaction reading, formation there, maybe. Those are being contempt as a defense mechanism. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, that's a side note. But um, yeah, I asked him this, and he was like, he had this like look of concern on his face. He's like, oh, like you think I'm above this, hmm. and you think counseling and therapy and getting in touch with yourself is like sort of achieving this state of nirvana where you don't. It's like actually getting more in touch with your feelings hmm. and exploring those thoughts that come up. And he's like, I have, I have feelings of jealousy when I come into work. And I was like, oh, oh, I thought this whole thing, I don't know why I did, but I thought going to therapy was like becoming even more robotic, more detached, more oh, yeah, above no. my feelings. 
No, it's like probably getting more in touch with them and being like more aware that you're jealous. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, again, idealization happens in all these different, um, I've, I've underlined so many really great things here, but it says, um, manic depression and serial romance both reflect the flight to an idealized state of mind, infatuation or mania to escape from unbearably, unbearable, painful feelings. So there's probably some avoidance there of, I can't handle what's going on, so I will just commit to having this one thing mm-hmm. that's perfect, it's and all my me. energy can go to that. This will save me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, yeah, maybe a one-to-one sexual Enneagram energy. Yeah. So now let me just give you some sound bites here. Some Romantic love depends upon idealization of the loved one. Whereas more realistic forms of love involve a complex view of the other person. Mm-hmm. One that often includes his irritating traits or his behaviors that inspire anger. Yeah. Idealized romantic love leaves no room for such difficult emotions. True. On the other hand, the early idealization that comes with falling in love has its uses. This is why defense mechanisms aren't necessarily bad. They're just something yeah. to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Many years ago, my own therapist told me that such romantic feelings may help us to overcome the anxiety involved in getting close to a stranger. Becoming vulnerable to somebody new, a person largely unknown to us, can be frightening. So frightening that we might avoid the experience entirely and never get close. As a defense mechanism, romantic love, idealization... Hmm helps us overcome those fears. I like to say that a lasting relationship is one where we awaken from the dream of perfect romantic love with someone ideal to discover we're involved with the person who actually, who's actually pretty great (laughs) (laughs) under optimal conditions as idealized as idealization fades, we can develop true intimacy based on a realistic appreciation for our partners. Hmm. When idealization is like a starting point. Yeah. When idealization reflects a more powerful defense and an inability to bear the truth, both internal and external, it is instead, it instead gives way to disillusionment, despair, or depression. Hmm. So it seems like idealization can get us in the door of a relationship, but if eventually we can't see, I mean, this is what I've said has been the great privilege or adventure of being married is like, I mean, you can make the case that I'm the type of person that had a massive idealization of my wife. Mm-hmm. I thought she was like a superhuman. Mm-hmm. And those things definitely came crumbling down because of course she isn't, but she's mm-hmm. still amazing. Yeah. And now I've had the great privilege of discovering some, you know, infinite depth in terms of who Marissa is and our relationship. Mm-hmm. But, but that beauty has to do with also understanding and accepting and appreciating and understanding flaws, whatever yeah. even that means in quotes, Mm-hmm. Things that I perceive as flaws. But in the beginning, the idealiz- idealizing is part of the... It's what got us married. It's what's what got us in the relationship. Yeah. You know? It's part of it. It's yeah. a good part of it. But if you... And, I, and I've, I can definitely relate to this in the early days. Initially, it feels so despairing. And if you... It seems as if you continue to do this... Serial, they use the word like serial... Um, idealization. Hmm. Like you, you date a person, you realize they're not perfect. You break up, you date a person, oh, you, realize I that, hear. you break up and then it sends There's you no to commitment. this like yeah. depression. Hmm. And then you're depressed for a long time. And you're like, I'll give it another try. Yeah. Let me find perfection. Oh, there is no perfection. Depressed, you know, and it's like yeah, back and forth. Setting yourself of, up for failure. Yeah. So instead of using that like romance as like a sign or an, a, a way to get in the door and then you start to actually learn who a person is and appreciate that. Yeah. 
Um, so then, they, 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 so then uh, well, let me just say, I mean, that seems to be the most prevalent, but they talk about like celebrities and heroes as another form of I feel like I can, like when I think of this, I can vibe with this idea of certain kinds of people, like mm-hmm. in situations in my life where I've done idealizing, like me and freaking camp. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Megan fate, this yeah. person, Megan fate. <laughs> I idealized her as a person. And I think just this whole camp experience and all of these different people that worked there. And that was, I didn't like love high school. Part of me is like, and I clung to that in those experiences in this one week, I would mm-hmm. spend my whole year waiting for that, for it to be perfect and all of these things. And I idealized the whole situation yeah, you get it. You're comprehending it. And it show, it gives me a little hope for people listening, being like they can track with this. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is making perfect well, sense. Well, so, so it's saying there's a, a void in ourselves and right. we see somebody else doing what perhaps we hope we, to we do. We want to do. And so that makes us feel like it's achievable. Well, and then we, we look at that person. We look at that person and we see only the things we want to see in them. Yes. We see only the good things. Yes. We look to that. And then we have this, at least for me, I'm now just speaking from my personal experience <laughs> with say this, this like camp like figure. This person <laughs> is really cool. Nobody knows who Megan fate is, but all of these things. I shout out to Megan. She's out there doing things like being like, excited extroverted extroverted she's cool she can do these flips she's like really spiritual all of this Mm -hmm. i can then cling she can do all these flips (laughs) wow maybe someday i can do flips (laughs) maybe my best self (laughs) (laughs) for real though Um, flips and i can look and see only these idealized characteristics in this person and then Maybe this is introjection also playing a role in my own development, but then I can take what the idealized image of that person is and desire that for myself or maybe swallow that for myself, swallow that idealized image. I think that's something that I am capable of doing. (laughs) Some (laughs) self-awareness. And I think I can do that even with like coworkers and things. I can idealize people and see a situation and imagine it better than it is sometimes. Maybe. So it's an escape from the mundane. Yeah. And then we think that Which it's a, it's possible to rise above hum, human, the human Experience. condition. It's a, so we yeah. look at somebody like Oprah or Ellen or somebody like that and be like, they must have it all figured out. And we, and we, we don't appreciate that they wake up in the morning and feel fear and mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. confusion and feel yeah. disorientation and have issues in their relationships. We want to think like, if, if I had the money and the show and the thing, then I'll be, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's like, it doesn't, it, as somebody that knows some, a few famous people, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's just not, you know, it's not all it's cracked yeah. up to be. So, so they say here in our culture, we worship celebrity as an escape from ordinary human condition. Yeah. So it's just a way for us to, yeah, like, we as daydream. a culture participate in this. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think of, things such as defense mechanisms and even Enneagram and these higher concepts as not being just as lenses to see our own human selves, but Mm -hmm. seeing like a society or like the organism of a society or the organism of a country and like what we're, I love that (laughs) the organism, what we're doing, what defense mechanisms. And I do think this is probably one. What's America's defense mechanism that we lean towards. Yeah. Yeah. What, I don't know. It's a, it's just a weird thought. I do think, uh, idealization can be a church's defense mechanism. Ooh, looking at that, like 
teaching pastor, version. executive yeah. pastor. Or just the version of themselves. A yeah. church wanting to be something or compensating for an inner shame. Yeah. <laughs> you could also see it maybe as having like this idealized, this is less about a church and more just a person in their spirituality, but like an idealized view of their relationship with God yes. or relationship with whatever their like higher being is. Mm-hmm. This setting up these expectations for it to be this fantastical, wonderful thing and kind of having that idealized way you hope to be. And then that probably will fall short inevitably because it you're will human. It will. That's what <laughs> I mean. I'm, I'm saying this is not somebody that has this figured out, but like that seems to be one of the major tricks to evolving is, is learning to embrace this stuff and not fight it so much. Yeah. We're humans. Yeah. I think that's true. There's something maybe probably, a little energizing and motivating about this that in small doses can be healthy for people who maybe get stuck in like we're human and this is just the human experience and we don't really Mm -hmm. get to do exciting, awesome things. Idealization could be helpful for some people to be like, Oh, I can have more than what this is. Yeah. No, I mean, but it's a fine line about the podcast. Like, it's so fun to think about what if, what if, what Mm -hmm. if we got to do this as a living, what if this is our job? What if, What if this got big? Uh, first of all, it's already it's already fulfilling enough. So I don't want to taint this by saying it's not what it needs to be because mm-hmm. it is perfect as is, honestly. Yeah. But also, I don't want to fall victim to thinking that if we got to do this someday as a job, we will be f- totally fulfilled. It's yeah. like, no, we're still going to wake up and still have issues and oh, concerns and all the things. emotions <laughs> and we're still going to be human. It doesn't. It's not bad to want that. It's not bad to have an image or a goal in our mind. It's the maybe attaching, having that idealized thing to some like happiness or like some state mm-hmm. of happiness where we Euphoria run into Euphoria or a utopia. You yeah. Know, like a Even the word ideal is an interesting word in terms of like the way things are. Imagining that there is like maybe a ideal way for something to be mm-hmm. when really the reality is that there just are lots of ways for things to be. Well... <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, romantic love is the one they go all in on this one, but there's a few other ones I'll just fly through. We idealize experiences. So this could be like vacations and just an experience. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, vacations come to an end. They turn out not to be the perfect antidote to unhappiness after all. And we eventually return to our flawed lives and internal conflicts. The list of possible idealized experiences often projected into the imaginary future is endless, of course. Everything will be great once I blank, have Mm -hmm. a different job, move Mm -hmm. to a different city, buy the flat screen TV, etc. As with romantic love, this kind of idealized idealization often involves feelings of excitement that may function as an emotional antidepressant. Hmm. Heightened enthusiasm about the impending event helps us ward off other more painful feelings. We don't need to confront any immediate difficulties we may have internal or external because they will not exist once the event comes to pass. Hmm. So that's that we idealize uh, idealizing ourselves so we can have an idealized version of ourselves that if, if I just this become this someday when I do this, so I won't go into that, but, um, uh, he says what to look for. And then he talks about this need independency thing. And this is where it really gets into shame. And then he says, read the last chapter of the book. If you really want to get to shame and I highlight some stuff there. Cause it was really interesting. <laughs> but I don't know if we have time, but I mean, he says no men and rush. women who idealize others often want to achieve a sort of perfect closeness with another person. Now this sounds like a sexual Enneagram type at times, almost merging identities. You may have known couples who seem joined at the hip, doing everything together, sharing all the same interests, etc. 
Maybe you neglect your other relationships when you fall in love, devoting yourself to someone who has become the new center of your universe, investing everything in one relationship, wanting to, wanting to be together at all times as if nothing else matters, and believing that one person holds the key to your personal happiness is a form of idealization. Um, and then he just goes on to the emotional, like, uh, fallout of all this stuff. Hmm. Um, it seems like the work for someone who is maybe stuck in an idealization rut is like to hold the word like content, like to mm. be content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's the work of this person is to practice contentment. I, I would just take it a step further and say Whatever contentment in the ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like just an every day I'm having a bowl of cereal. I'm having a conversation with a human. There's no such thing as a perfect human. So there's not going to be a better human someday to talk to. This is the human I'm talking to. I'm having a fall day. Not the perfect fall day. A a fall day. Look at this nice fall day. Yeah. You know, look at this nice, you know. Um, (laughs) Amazing. You laughed at that. Uh, But this is is one of the things that... I'll end with this. Uh, Not not necessarily end, but um, this, this is one of those things where I thought... This seems Enneagram four-ish. Okay, so here we go. So maybe to wrap this up. Maybe. Um, they sa- he says, readers who identify most with group six statements would tend to... So uh, everybody get this book. Why do I do that? Not <laughs> you're listening. I think it'd be worth your time. Um, it says, uh, readers who identify with group six. So at the beginning of this book, he has like basically six groups that helps you think through your issues. Um tend to idealize other people but run themselves down. So this is like personal shame, essentially, Mm -hmm. which sounds like four. They may think in extremely black and white terms. Other people have these perfect lives, but mine is worthless. If you often wish you were someone else, if you have idols or heroes who you feel are far, far above you, aristocrats living on some rarefied plane while you are but a lowly peasant, then idealization is at work. How the state of mind extremely painful in itself serves as a psychological defense to ward off pain will be discussed in chapter 11. So that's where it really gets into shame. Yeah, I feel like in vibe, I do think this does have a two, three, and four energy. Yeah, like it's all a heart of those things shame. I could see two, threes, and fours vibing with that. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think I'm, I, it's a, puts like a probably partial defense I use. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I'm not like deeply convicted. Yeah. Um, I can see it in my life for sure. Okay. So th- I, now, I, now everybody I've toggled forward cause I'm reading an ebook on iBooks to a section in this book about shame, which is tied to aggressively tied to in this author's mind to idealization. So there's lots of parts about shame where I'm looking at this and thinking that's a seven thing. That's a three thing. That's a two thing. Um, and then we get to this, I mean, this may be a triggering thing. I may even leave this out, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. This, this section of the shame thing is called the defense of last resort. Um, so he says this individuals with such overwhelming shame usually struggle with powerful self-hatred as well. They suffer under an image of the perfect superior self. They're supposed to be cruelly attacking themselves for failing to live up to this ideal. It's Mm -hmm. as if they can imagine only two possibilities, the inferior, damaged loser they feel themselves to be, and the ideal person they long to become, the beauty or the ugly freak, the enlightened one or the imbecile. They may view the external world in the same way. The only two categories, there are only two categories of people, the winners and the losers. 
Although such men and women sometimes seem to be without defenses, mired in shame and self-hatred, their perfectionism embodies a defense of last resort. While I may be a contemptible loser, at least I know enough to look down upon and despise myself. Ooh. I'm not such a fool that I actually accept who I am. Ooh, that's a mood. Yep. That is a mood. The inner voice that belittles and brutalizes them, in fact, expresses their own contempt. The same kind of contempt as discussed early in this chapter, which serves a def- as a defense against shame. Oof. <sighs> yeah, that's a little real. <laughs> that reminded me mood. of you. That's why I highlighted it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, I I can relate to that. It's yeah. not my everything all but the time, but I can relate and I can definitely relate to this vibe of either being like a complete lowly nothing or like this grand idealized self. Yeah, it see, sometimes he says, feels one or the other. He says they, this person toggles back and forth between these two extremes. I am a superior contemptuous God or <laughs> I utterly despise and reject that fucked up loser. <laughs> <laughs> There's only those oh, two gosh. options. <laughs> oh, yeah, I I definitely can have an in between, but I a hundred percent relate to yeah. the toggling of those two things. And I, I I'm an extreme enough. person. Yeah, you are. I'm an extreme pal. It's cool. <laughs> an extreme pal. An extreme pal. So he's trying to get you to think about ways that you idealize mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. relationships, yourself other people experiences the whole thing. Yeah. As a way to avoid pain. That's the whole thing. So whether you're thinking about this particular defense or anything else, it's ways that we, yeah, we lies. We tell ourselves to avoid pain. Don't want to experience that pain. Why? (laughs) Which one, which lie will I choose? It seems like idealization is this lie. We tell ourselves that there's always something better right around the corner. There's a better me. There's a better relationship. There's a better experience. Yeah. There's a better, life trajectory. Yeah. And that may be true. That's the thing. It's like, don't, don't, don't hold that. It may be true, but like the situation you're in right now is also the present and good Mm -hmm. and just where you're at. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Okay. That's idealization. That was great. (laughs) I'm Macy's, uh, attempts to understand my content was actually better than my content. (laughs) (laughs) So you're so what so let me help you out here. What you're saying is this. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's better. <laughs> I'm trying to understand and clarify. Oh my goodness. Okay, when we come back, I'm gonna talk about displacement. Woo! Bye. Okay. <laughs> back everybody hey everybody we are back and i literally have a bag of popcorn <laughs> yeah scott is settling into in. the microphone but i want to hear what macy has to say about displacement displacement yeah so this is the defense mechanism that i have been slightly researching this week um i was debating between lots of defense mechanisms i would change my mind like a thousand billion times which is fine and then i settled and chose displacement as a defense mechanism. I think it's interesting as I was studying it, I didn't, I don't know if it's a 
common one that I do. I don't think I do displacement very much. Didn't relate. No, not really. Um, and we can get a little bit into that. But what is displacement? So displacement is a defense mechanism in which you take... I'm just going to read this, actually. Yeah. Um, this comes from an article called What is Displacement in Psychology? Displacement is a defense mechanism in which negative feelings are transferred. And maybe I would even add perceived negative feelings are transferred from the original source of the emotion to a less threatening person or object. Ooh. The negative emotions or perceived negative emotions elicited toward the source of the feelings are instead redirected toward a more powerless substitute. This target may take the form of a person or an object. This defense allows the individual to act out their emotions in a way that reduces the chances of a negative repercussion. (laughs) Sounds like a a sad defense mechanism. Sad. I think it's one that where we all kind of know the common phrase of like, don't take this out on me. Yeah. That's what's happening is displacement when you take something out on someone else. So in the chapter by whatever. Joseph Burgo. Joseph Burgo. He gave an example of displacement as functioning. It functions in a lot of ways, and I'll give some examples. But he gave the example of it. You're a new parent, and you're the mom, and you have, you're the only one who can breastfeed your kid. And you're up in the middle of the night breastfeeding your kid, and you're having all these warm emotions. Oh, I'm having this nice, sweet moment with my kid, all these things, and it's great. And then you go back to go to sleep, and you can't sleep, and you start to be a little bit, like, annoyed, and you look to your spouse, and you look to them, and you think, oh, I'm so annoyed with them. They don't have to get up in the middle of the night. They don't have to do this. And it starts to build this resentment, and then you start to take out those feelings you have of being annoyed, of being woken up, and you take it out, and you put all of those thoughts towards that person, your spouse. not fair. Not fair, but it also, I mean, what you're doing in that situation is ultimately the thing that is causing heavy quotes your tiredness you having to wake up all these things is the baby it is the fact that the baby is there and you have to do that can't get mad at the baby it's not your spouse but you can't yeah you can't take that out on the baby it's not like you're gonna be like annoyed with the baby although some people are but in in this situation it's it maybe is the super ego that's acting as well as probably uh, some preservation, which I'll talk a little bit more about that, I guess. But maybe your super ego in that situation is saying, well, it's not fair to the baby to be annoyed with the baby, but I still have this annoyed feeling, so I'm going to take the it id out is annoyed. something. The id is annoyed. Yeah. Yep. And I think displacement can function in two ways in that sometimes it can be conscious, conscious whether or not you're doing it and sometimes think it can be unconscious. So I think sometimes we can know and see I'm taking this out on you. So like you had a hard day at work, you come home, you treat your family poorly. That's a very common example. And you can even say, I'm taking this out on you. It's not fair. Right. And you're doing but here it. Here I go. But here you are, you're doing it. And that's where it starts to become like, I think it leans this defense mechanism can kind of feel in my opinion, sometimes neurotic defense mechanism as well as leaning more towards mature and that you have a full 
in that situation, you understand your reality and you're kind of acknowledging your feeling, although you're distorting it. You're changing like the way you're seeing it and you're putting it into a different situation. That's one way of displacing, but displacing can also kind of operate in another way of you, your grandma died and you're really upset about your grandma dying, but you aren't comfortable or ready or able to handle those feelings that you have around your grandma dying. So you go to your grandma's funeral, you do all these things and you're not really showing and experiencing that emotion. And then two weeks later, your fish dies. And then Ooh. all of a sudden, you're oh. experiencing huge moments of grief oh, and mourning this and feelings around your fish dying. Oh. And it's about the fish, and you're so sad about your fish and all these things, when probably in reality, it's your displaced emotions you have around your oh. grandma dying being then put onto the fish dying. I've watched this happen with people, and I, <laughs> I'm i not sensitive. You're not sensitive? I need to be. I need to be. Interesting. Like, what do you mean? I'm probably not saying, like, oh, I bet it's displacement. I'm like, you're mad that your fish died? You know oh. what I mean? I'm not like, oh, I bet it's deeper than that. I bet some, oh, I should be You're curious. not wondering, oh, I wonder yeah, where, like, if there's something else that this is you happening. You can be this upset about your fish. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't think I've had a literal experience with fish, but I... <laughs> but I, I know do, it's a funny example. Yeah, but I do know there there have been times with my wife and I will be driving home from an interaction or an event or a get together, and I'm like, what what was going on with that person tonight? Did yeah. you see that? Did you see yeah. how upset they got at that one thing or how emotional they got that mm-hmm. thing? And Marissa's never as uh, like probably a, a more evolved person, not so obsessed with the why. Marissa's like, oh, they were sad. I don't need to know the why. And I'm kind of like, why? Why were they so sad about that? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if that's more or less evolved. It's more of just what you're paying your focus of attention is on, what you care about with those with people. I know, but there do there does seem to be some things like a fish dying. I think I do think that's a great example. That it's sure it's sad. I'm sure it's sad. Again. I, I don't care about animals as much as I should. So yeah. first of all, there's that little caveat. But like yeah, if you're going to be hanging out with some friends for a night and somebody's going to be like literally sitting there crying about their fish dying, you do wonder what's going on. Yeah, going I wonder on what's going on. Is there, did your grandma die? <laughs> you know, it's like, is this actually your grandma? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. I know. And I would maybe pose that question of like what really is going on. I think the more I talk about it, the more I can maybe sometimes see myself kind of exhibiting some displacement in that. But this this is more of me probably just leaning grabbing anything that could stir up some emotional response like a fish dying i could be like oh let me get really emotional yes, about that an opportunity for some emotion but i wouldn't have <laughs> displaced some previous emotions of my grandma it would maybe re-bring them up but i don't, can't imagine myself maybe maybe i don't know but i can't imagine myself not grieving in that moment like i'm seizing most opportunities to mourn <laughs> i'm not trying to hide that this does seem like I don't know. This this could sound so foolish, but it seems one of the, like one of the more less hidden ones. It doesn't seem as hidden. Yeah, it doesn't seem as hidden because I think but maybe this to other people. Yeah, I think it it seems like one that it's less hidden because it has such like consequences on the people around them in obvious ways, especially maybe in relationship. So if 
I am at a work situation where I really don't like my boss, but it's not okay for me to tell your boss and take out your anger. And I don't have a positive way of doing that. You're going to put that onto someone else. Mm. And then it shows up really obviously that person can kind of call you out. I think it's, yeah. it seems no, I mean, maybe the sure. signs are have, easy to see. I'd love to have Marissa here. I'm sure she could be like, you do this. Yeah. You know, my kids were saying that off mic, like, calling me out for all sorts of like (laughs) moody apparently i'm way more moody than i think i think i think around the house as a dad yeah you one feels like you can be more authentic yeah and sometimes i'm not like trying to like be all charismatic and impressive around my house i'm like you're in your house i'm not being i'm not being mean but i'm like i'm not in a good mood Mm -hmm. and everybody's like oh he's moody he's upset i'm like "I'm, i'm just being in my house. <laughs> yeah. And that's where it's kind of displacement seems like an interesting thing in that like those emotions maybe aren't allowed in a certain area. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you spend your day all day, like hiding those emotions or holding them off mm-hmm. until you get to a safe place where they can then be unleashed. A safe place. That feels, I. it feels kind of like displacement, but maybe also just like something different. Yeah. Dodgers <laughs> over here getting his spot all comfy. Um, displacement also, and this is an interesting and I think important thing to point out about displacement is I think displacement can be linked to scapegoating. Ah, I think we're going to do a whole episode on that someday. Yeah. So Mm. displacement, if you are thinking about this, you have a negative emotion. You're mad about something that's happened to you and it's not beneficial for you to let that out to whoever you're mad about it Mm -hmm. is. So like for protection, I can't tell my boss I don't know that's always the example or maybe even your loved one. These bosses. Like I can't tell my loved one how frustrated I am with them or I can't even tell myself how frustrated I am with myself. I can't handle and and it's not safe for whoever the energy should be directed at to to Mm -hmm. go to. So let me find some lesser target or object that I can place it onto. And I think that historically this if you were to like play tapes back, displacement is playing a large role in targeting minority groups, creating Uh. scapegoat groups, targeting certain people, finding a characteristic in someone that gives you a reason to then take out these negative feelings towards that person. And it's a less obtrusive object in your life and it will protect you and allow you to just kind of throw that negativity at something and like, (sighs) Wipe your hands clean and keep moving on with your day. So I think displacement in really unhealthy a, levels. I want to take what you just said and just have those that last two minutes as an episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a little mini sermon. That's so good. It's just it's the way that it. it I'm my, my I have too many thoughts now. <laughs> you just you just changed the episode. I feel like like because to a certain extent it also made me think of like. Uh, this idea of certainty that is someday we'll go all in on the concept of certainty, but um, that seems like a defense mechanism. Has somebody called that certainty a defense mechanism? Oh, it has to be. Fascinating you know thing. what I mean? Like to say I am certain this particular group is bad or they're out to mm-hmm. get me or they're the reason or they're, they're the scapegoat. Yeah. You know, they're the reason things aren't going well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to be able to say like, oh, uh, our society's a mess. Oh, it's because of that group. Mm-hmm. If only that group, mm-hmm. 
I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, as much as I hate to say it, it's like you could have a president be an ultimate scapegoat. Oh, if for we sure. Only doing have this president. Yeah, that's the solution. It's like, oh, actually, how about just look at your own self and your own community and your own relationships? Yeah, you can then you take doing? it all out. And I think that's where it can become really unproductive in the sense that, I mean, it's more than unproductive when it leads to oppression of people groups. And it's, yeah, it is tragic in the extent in which it can probably allow for oppressors to keep oppressing and it functions in a way that dehumanizes people that's I like can barely even speak to that because it's just so big yeah and that's in terms of like the talk around displacement out there it's always kind of a side note of like oh and this is also how displacement functions but part of me is like this is this is a big way that it functions maybe we should really pay attention Mm -hmm. to that um but I think that it's unproductive in that it allows a person to get rid of those negative feelings, but it's because it's not directed towards what it should be directed at. Mm-hmm. There's no solution making. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a throw out. And then the person that you're actually upset with doesn't know. And then you've targeted some Ugh. random thing oh. and that can't respond properly. Cause it's not theirs to respond it. to. <laughs> can't respond properly. Oh. Um, so if, if I'm really mad about something, or upset about something and then I go and I rant about why, yeah, like the president is ruining all things. Mm-hmm. You're displacing all of those negative feelings and what you feel about someone else in your actual life onto someone or something. Yeah, I maybe I'm listening to this and see feeling like again, whatever language you're using, it does feel like a more primitive uh, defense mechanism. And mm-hmm. so I wanna think like, oh, I I'm sure listeners including us don't really struggle with this, but maybe you do. Maybe I do. I mean, I think I might, I, the more I'm talking about it, even just now, the more I can see it sometimes playing a role. Um, yeah, there, I think it, what was that noise? (laughs) I think it shows up. Um, I think it shows up more as you get older, which I think does lean more towards it being a mature defense mechanism. I don't know. It's not like you see, you don't see kids doing displacement very often. So Mm. as I'm reading defense mechanisms, I work with kids and some I'm like, oh, I see this happening. Displacement you don't see very often, especially in young kids. Like when kids are upset, they they allow that emotion to be out and Hmm. who's it for. Hmm. As where displacement is, comes I think maybe as you start to see your place in society and fill certain roles, Hmm. then you realize what people can handle, what things, and you start to kind of maybe make a hierarchy of how you're going to let these things out. Yeah. I don't know. These are just thoughts. Those are some good thoughts. (laughs) I think it's good for us to consider. I think, I do think I'm not trying to pump up like no small thing or anything like that, but I do think it's like if we're leading with curiosity, Mm -hmm. like, just just stop your behaviors Mm -hmm. whenever whenever you're doing something that feels toxic or um aggressive or harmful or i'm trying to find the right the right word like a um detrimental you know if you're doing something if you're doing something that's feels chaotic Mm mm-hmm just stop and say what's going on. Yeah. You know, be curious about it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't write off like, like for, for right. displacement, don't say you're yelling at your wife at night. You come home and you're yelling at your wife and she goes, why are you yelling at me? 
Well, it's obvious. You didn't do the dishes. Right. That's why I'm yelling at you. No, no. Something else is going on. Yeah. Can you just stop and ask yourself what's going on? Oh, my, I've been, my boss has been yelling at me all day mm-hmm. and I'm mad at my boss. I'm yeah. taking it on you. But like, just to be like, you're actually yelling at me right now because of the dishes? Are you crazy? Yeah. What are you talking about? Gosh, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm now being convicted as you <laughs> say this in terms of, so we've been talking quite a bit about it in terms of anger. And I think that's true, but I can even see myself of if I've had a tough day, which tough for me, maybe is often usually like an emotionally intense day. Mm -hmm. Then I might displace my emotions out into Mm -hmm. other situations and people like I might be moody towards someone Mm -hmm. instead of like being honest about like, that it's like actually a me thing or it's something from a different situation. Like it's a, a kid from today. Yeah. Like it's that situation that happened. It's not you or whatever this is. Mm-hmm. Like I can displace why I'm being moody onto a different reason that feels safer. Maybe mm. I think that I'd, maybe a weird interpretation of it, but that I can relate to the crazy thing about relationships though mm. is Every human is utterly unique. Mm -hmm. Every human gets to enjoy what they want to enjoy. Every human gets to make the choices they want to make. Every relationship is the same. Like, um, if you, if you've made sort of like a pact or an agreement with a loved one of like, when I come home from work, I'm not going to like unfairly berate you and like, quote unquote, take my anger out on you. Mm -hmm. But maybe you could be a safe person for me to not have to be like fake with. Right. So when I come home, I am going to be upset and I, I have had a hard day and I might be short with you and I might yell at you. It's not because I'm mad at you. It's just because I'm mad and you're, and you're a person and I can yell and maybe you can take it. Maybe you'll let me know if you can't. Yeah. And I think maybe if there is a level of consciousness, I think that's where this displacement thing gets really fascinating in that. So we have displacement where it's really unconscious and maybe you don't even realize you're doing it and mm-hmm. you're taking it out and maybe it's even to the extent, and this is where displacement can function in really unhealthy ways of you're abusing your spouse. Yeah. Like you're really yeah. mad about something. You're taking out that. That's what I'm saying. Without their consent. Right. You're just yelling at them. Right. And so there's yeah. that. And then there is a more conscious understanding of I'm mad. I need somewhere to vent. You're the person I'm with. Mm-hmm. We're here. We can vent together. Oh yeah. You we can all vent. know and understand that the heart of why I'm mad is because of this other thing, not because of you. Yeah. And then this, I'll briefly talk about this other defense mechanism. Oh, a whole new one. Oh yeah. 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 This is like the little, this is considered like a, a mature defense mechanism, which seems sublimation, like a healthy defense mechanism, something that what's happening with sublimation is you take out your negative feeling and put it into something creative or productive. So, It's similar to displacement in that you're having this unwanted feeling, but with displacement, it then kind of gets moved in probably a a more negative channel. And then with sublimation, you're moving that negative feeling towards a positive channeling Mm -hmm. of it. You're kind of transforming it. You're acknowledging it. Both kind of need to require some acknowledging, but sublimation acknowledges it and then consciously finds 
an outlet for it that is doesn't harm others. And yeah, it's like potentially positive for yourself. Something. A punching bag. Boop, boop. You're sad. You go home Running. and write poetry. Mm-hmm. You're you come home and you write like. Uh, well, I mean, you could also. I think sublimation for a lot of like there's a lot of writing around sublimation also being like potentially productive for yourself and like helping move you forward. So like taking out your, like your feelings and then using it in a creative way that then is actually serving you. Yep. As opposed to, yeah. All, totally all makes the other sense. Things. I, I, I do think for me running could be a form of sublimation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Painting is a form of sublimation yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's, it's it's like a coping it's a coping mechanism. That's where it feels like it's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean it's this world is a struggle, as we were saying. We need tools to help cope. Yeah. Um and I think the more we can be honest with that, the more maybe we can allow ourselves and be mindful of what tools we're using and maybe start to integrate tools into our life rather than inadvertently doing things that are hurting those around us. Mm-hmm. So I I, that's I, displacement. I had, I had this experience one time and I think back on it cause I've tried to replicate it. It just was like a, a real true spontaneous moment. It's like a, uh, an old time spiritual song. It's like, I think the song is called the eyes on the sparrow. Okay. It says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow. Hmm. And I just had this moment where I was running one day. So everybody, I often run like 15 so miles long. and it's so fun. Like it's not, it's really truly not out of obligation. And I just had this thought come into my mind. I run because I'm happy. I run because I'm free. Hmm. And it just felt like out there running, especially when you get into the type of shape where you're just not struggling. Um, it feels like real true freedom. Hmm. And it also feels like I've, I've said this, maybe on the podcast, whatever, but like in terms of sublimation, it takes my anxious energy and not only puts it to work, but like expends it. Yeah. Like when I'm, when I'm done running, I feel like even if I wanted to be anxious, I'm, I'm out of energy. There's no, you've fully used it all Mm -hmm. up. And now I just, I'm done. Honestly, I'm just going with my brain right now and saying brain. if anybody gets a chance to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert, <laughs> here I go holding up a white man out in the world. But like, it's a crazy thing to watch um, because he'll do like a concert, which is always a one man show with no opener. It's like three hours. And then he'll go into like this. I don't even know what to call it. A second concert. Hmm. You know, he'll do this crazy concert, so full of energy. And he's like 70 now, you know, and it's like a three hour concert. And then you'll be like, oh my gosh, especially me as an introvert who hardly ever goes to concerts. I'm like, wow, that was really fun. You're like, ready to go. Here comes part two. And it's like, then he goes into his greatest hits. He goes into requests. He goes into spontaneous, what the band's calling out, whatever his feeling. He's like, he's like dunking his head in water and spitting out in the air. He's laying on the ground. He's running laps around the band. And you can tell like, it's oh this idea. Goodness. It feels like we're getting it all out. <laughs> it's all, we're leaving it all on the stage tonight. You're leaving it all here in the auditorium. We're, we're going all in. You're going to feel it's a release. It's a release. It's a total yeah. release. And you're like, yeah. this guy is just, 
Yeah. I mean, I have to believe Bruce Springsteen is a seven. <laughs> yeah, that feels so much full big seven energy. Vibes. All in. All in. <laughs> maybe sublimation, though, you know? Yeah. Music, art. I think maybe as we wrap this up, this displacement segment up, more of just a note on defense mechanisms and as like we're reflecting back. I think one thing that's common is that we're all experiencing these negative emotions or perceived negative emotions. Like, regardless of how we're all handling them, we're all out here trying to toggle back and forth between our id, our super ego, our egos. Like, we're all these functioning beings all wrapped up in our own worlds, doing all of these things, firing off of reflexes, ebbing and flowing between conscious thought and cultural values like it's just it puts it into perspective how much we're all out here kind of a little bit shoulder shrug like what are we even doing out here and what is it even being a human and like you may struggle with one defense mechanism and or relate with one defense defense mechanism and totally not with another but we all have these some some use certain ones and some use other ones. So we're all out here using these and we're all out here trying to cope and manage our perceived like negative emotions. Humans out here being humans. We are all out here using defense mechanisms. We are. It's just the reality. uh, Macy's third sermon of the evening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is really good. I I learned a lot. I'm I'm already excited to edit this episode because I feel like you said a lot of good things tonight (laughs) that I really need to learn from. Yeah, I think it was a good one. I'm not just gassing up whatever you say (laughs) is that I do, but um, no, uh, I think I think for some reason, and I don't know how to replicate it because I love the Steven episode. I love our sugar episode. It's hard to think of an episode that I don't like really truly care about. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been an episode where I'm like, that was a trash episode. I think there's been weird episodes voice. like voice <laughs> color. Those are weird episodes to me, but they're not worthless at yeah. all. I mean, if anything, there's a lot of pride in the sense that like we tried it. And yeah. I do think probably at the end of the day, people could get something out of those. Um, but something's come, something happens in these defense mechanisms episodes. Like, well, it's exposing us to ourselves. Yeah. And, and there's a little bit more energy I don't know. The research energy gets activated. It does. It really, <laughs> it does. really does. It really does. I want to know maybe more. Maybe it's the format of the book report to each other. You know what I mean? It's like I have to present something. I have to know some things. It's like I've got a test coming up, basically. It's like a full presentation. I get that energy. This might be my true student achiever vibes that come out. I think it's so good. I think we got to take advantage. <laughs> yeah. Is this going to be it or... I think that's it. Okay. I think that should be it. I think next week, my, I think what, I think we may try to attempt is an episode on certainty. Yeah. I think so. Once and for all. Once and for all. What is certainty? We'll have to research. Why is it? We want, what we want to talk about is why we're trying to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Why in terms of like, uh, I'm probably going to have some thoughts about how some certainty and certainty certainty doses uncertainty in context is helpful but in general we're trying to dismantle idealizing certainty Ooh, much better said that's the episode (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but but, uh uh i think it will be a deep deep dive in the things that you just said 
Yeah. No. Um, what what uh, in Dal Miller's paradigm, which I know it's like here, it guys, this guy out there <laughs> making up things. I mean, Dal Miller to his to his credit will say he got this from Aristotle. Okay. So it's like whatever. Yeah. What is that? But um, we're trying to position ourselves as the, as the guides. Mm. What do we have to offer? Other people have other things to offer us. We have to offer our curiosity. Yep. You know, and um, what are we trying to fight against? We're trying to fight against certainty. Fight the power. Fight the power. Yeah. Here it is. Uh, so next week, are we, we're not going to close with a blessing this week or something like that or a reading. I don't think so. Yeah. Not every week is a closing with a reading or a blessing, everybody. It's a I closing with a thanks for listening. wherever you are, this finds you well. I hope that it's allowed you to be maybe more honest with yourself in your experience, mm-hmm. but also that you've had grace for yourself from where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a thought. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>